Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, worship team. And on the tail end of that offering, I want to thank all of you. We had uh, set a goal for giving for the month of December of $500,000. That uh, is well above what normally is given during the course of a month, but we needed that as we presented in a couple meetings, both to catch up, but also to posture ourselves well for launching a pastoral search this spring. And it's my pleasure to tell you today that not only through you, through your giving, meet that goal, but exceeded it by well over another $100,000. So, yeah. And ultimately, we give praise to God because our generosity is a direct result of Him working through us. And it's a model of His generosity demonstrated to us in Jesus Christ. Uh, if, if you have a Bible, uh, either a paper Bible or on your phone, I invite you or encourage you to open it to the Gospel of Mark, the second book in the New Testament, chapter 4. If you're visiting, we're really glad to have you. We work through books section by section, verse by verse. So we've been in a study of the Gospel of Mark for quite some time, and we'll be in it for quite some time, and we've worked our way up to chapter 4. But while you're thumbing there to Mark chapter 4, we're going to pick it up in verse 26 in just a moment. I would just simply comment, this is the first Sunday of the new year. I don't know about you, I'm not really a New Year's resolution type of guy, but I do think as a new year begins every year, I think about what hopes do I have for the year? And maybe you have hopes. Maybe you have, looking back at 2018, looking forward to this next year, You have some hopes, whether you've really thought about them consciously or not, about what you hope to see in the in the new year. And yeah, you might have hopes for uh, physical fitness or financial um, peace or or some other good, solid goals like that. But what are your spiritual hopes? What is it in 2019 that you'd like to see happen in your personal life in terms of spiritual progress, growth in the Lord? What are your spiritual hopes for those that you love? Think about um, maybe who is the child that comes to mind, or the brother, or sister, or parent, or friend, or coworker, somebody that you love, but you are deeply concerned about where they are spiritually. Maybe they are struggling spiritually. Maybe they are far from the Lord. Maybe they don't know the Lord, and they don't want anything to do with the Lord. What is your hope? That, that will happen in their life spiritually in 2019. And then let's take it even beyond us in our immediate circle of those that we care about. Let's, let's think about the Great Commission. Let's think about the reason that Jesus in saving us leaves us on this earth until his return, that we are to be part of taking the gospel to every nation. What is our hope Again, something probably we don't think a lot consciously about, about the advance of the gospel in our culture, in our nation, and throughout all the nations of the world. Now, when you think about hopes, you know, maybe you're like me. I'm a bit melancholic, and and so I can be easily discouraged. And I can look back at a whether it's last year or a period of time in my life, I can be discouraged because maybe I don't see much spiritual progress Or maybe you, like me, you can think about those loved ones that you have in your life that don't know the Lord or are spiritually struggling, and and you can become discouraged because you haven't seen progress in the last year or whatever time period you measure that by. 
Or maybe you even look at the advance of the gospel. You think, you know, if we look at our culture around us, it does not seem like the gospel is impacting our culture just by what we can see with our own human eyes. Or you look about the spread of the gospel throughout the world and you see areas of the world that are becoming more closed, it seems, at least humanly, to the gospel, like what's happening right now in China. So it's very easy to be discouraged when we think about what we hope for and what the reality is, whether it's in our own spiritual progress or the spiritual progress of those we love or the spiritual progress of the gospel throughout the world. But that brings us to the gospel of Mark. The gospel of Mark is all about the expansion of the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus uses that phrase for the reign of God, the rule of Christ that expands, and, and, it, and it takes over our lives and moves in the lives of others. That's what the gospel of Mark is all about. And Jesus gives us perspective, even in the midst of maybe our discouraged hopes about our own spiritual progress and the progress of those that we love and the progress of the gospel throughout the world. I love how he does it. His parables They're not big parables that the world would use. They're not parables and stories of mighty armies and military campaigns. No, they are parables, especially here in chapter 4, that involve simple, humble, everyday objects, lamps, measuring cups, seeds, and, and seeds I want to seize on because that's our two parables today. There are actually in chapter 4 three parables, three separate parables involving seeds that Jesus uses to speak to this issue that we're talking about. And one of them we've already covered, the, the parable of the soils in Mark 4 verses 3 through 20. The other two we're going to look at today. But together, these three what I call seed parables give us perspective, I believe, towards, towards when we can be discouraged about the lack of spiritual progress that, that we see or we fail to see. The parable of the soils, I'm not going to re-preach that sermon, but just to give you a little bit of perspective to move into the second and third seed parables, the parable of the soils gives us perspective about what I would say is human responsibility in the, in the advance of the, of the spiritual growth. And if you were here that Sunday or if you know that parable, you know that, that the lesson of that, what Jesus is communicating first of all about the, the natural world is that whether seeds sprout and grow is affected by the condition of the soil that they're cast in. So a seed in rocky soil is not going to grow. A seed in, in, in very shallow soil may sprout, but it's not going to produce any, any crop. A, a seed in thorny soil is not going to do much either. And Jesus brings that home to us spiritually for you and me personally, that you and I, we all make a cumulative set of choices throughout our lives that over time, they affect the condition of the soil of our hearts when the seed of the gospel, the seed of God's truth is cast upon it. And our hearts, by our choices, can become hardened or they can become shallow, or they can become thorny. I mean, 
I can think of many examples, so can you as well, but I think of a friend that I grew up with, was in my church youth group with me, uh, really, really came to the point of making decisions of faith at about the same time that I made. His, his name is, is Mike, and, and, and I think as, as we got later into the last years of high school and going into college, his focus began to shift more and more towards, I want to make money. You know, I want to take a career path that's going to make me a lot of money. And there's nothing wrong with making money unless, unless it leads to a series of decisions that affects the condition of the soil of our hearts. And that's what happened in Mike's case, that as I saw him years later with no visible evidence anymore of a love for Christ or a following of a Christ, it was that, that example of thorny soil, of, of the thorns, of the cares of this world, and the desire for riches growing up and choking out the growth of his, his spiritual life there. So, again, human responsibility in the parable of the soils, Jesus teaches us through this parable that we bear responsibility for spiritual growth or for the lack of it in our lives. And the Apostle Paul makes this clear as well. He makes the same point in Philippians 2.12 when he encourages each of us to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. So we are responsible for spiritual growth. But if we stop there, if we only look at that first seed parable, we don't get the whole truth, and we get out of balance. And Jesus today gives us the second and the third seed parables that bring kind of a check and balance because you see, if all you emphasize and look at is our human responsibility, you can, you, can make, you can fall into the error of Pelagianism. Pelagius was a fifth-century theologian, and, and, and he got off track somewhere from his initial love for Jesus. And, and he began to teach, and, and he began to preach that, you know, that by our own human effort, we actually contribute to our salvation. We actually have a part in saving ourselves. And by our own efforts and our own good works, we put ourselves in a right standing with God. And this is error. This is really heresy. And Pelagianism has persisted through the ages, even if it's not under that name, and infects many people today. And all it looks at is the human responsibility. But, but those who follow this line of thinking, they miss, they like what Paul says in Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation. They miss what Paul says in the very same breath in the very next verse, Philippians 2.13, for it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to will and to act for his own good purpose. What is Paul saying there? Even your desire my desire to grow spiritually. God did that. God has produced that in you and me. Even our own efforts, our our actions, God enables those in us. So that is the counterbalance to the working out your own salvation. You could say that is divine sovereignty or or God's supernatural work that, that, that in tandem with human responsibility produces spiritual growth. And Jesus gives us that perspective now, that balanced perspective as we go into the second and third seed parables. We'll pick up the second seed parable in uh, verse 26, the parable of the growing seed, or uh, it's been called many things. Remember that the headings in your Bible, they're not inspired text, all right? So 
you know, if you have different headings for titles for these parables, that's, that's, that's okay. I think, I think the title that I like best for this parable is the parable of the seed growing in secret, the parable of the unseen growth of the seed. And we'll pick it up in verse 26. The kingdom of God is like this, Jesus said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how. Verse 28, the soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade and then the head, and then the ripe grain on the head. But as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because harvest has come. Now, in looking at this parable, let's first look at that human responsibility part of the equation. When you look at the man in this parable, uh, what is the role of the man in this parable? Well, examining verses 26 and 27, here's what I think we can say. The man in this parable plays a rather insignificant role in the growth of this grain. Yes, he's there at the beginning. He scatters the seed, but then he just goes through his daily routine. Night and day, he sleeps and he rises, and then he's around when he recognizes, oh, wow, the grain's ready to harvest. He's ready there to call for the sickle and be part of the harvest. Well, this, along with the fact Jesus says that he doesn't even know how the seed sprouts and grows, it clearly shows that the growth of this crop of grain is not dependent on him. And even before we move on to the spiritual meaning of this parable, just think about that and its botanical, horticultural image right there. You may have a green thumb. I, I, one of my sons has a green thumb. He, he can grow about anything from seeds. He's actually even got a degree in biochemistry. But in spite of his green thumb and his degree in biochemistry, he cannot explain, nor can any biochemist or horticulturist or any other scientist, exactly how a seed is able to produce living plant cells that grow into the kind of plant that the seed came from. Well, Jesus is teaching us that that very same lesson in the natural plant world is true in the supernatural world. He's teaching us that supernatural life, in other words, salvation, and supernatural growth, it's not dependent on human ability. It's not dependent on human activity. It's certainly not dependent on whether we understand it, what makes the seed grow. So what is the role of the man in this parable? Notice that this man is not passive. It's not like he doesn't do anything. Verse 26, he's he's there to scatter the seed at the beginning. He's, He's there, verse 27, going through his daily routine. Verse 29, when he sees that the crop is ready to harvest, he sends for the sickle so he can harvest the crop. Now let's apply that spiritually. What is our role in our own spiritual growth. Just, just you personally for a minute, when you think about 2019, what is your role in spiritually advancing and developing? Well, I, I think one thing that we could say from this parable is this, this, this image of sleeping and rising night and day that, that indicates routine. 
You know, and there is routine that contributes to our spiritual growth. Do you have a routine of being in God's Word, whether you're reading it regularly or listening to it? Do you have a routine of prayer? Do you have a routine of of worshiping with the body of Christ and fellowshipping with the body of Christ? Your lack of a routine will pretty much guarantee there's not going to be any spiritual growth. You having a routine does not mean that you cause your spiritual growth, but it does mean that God uses your routine to help you grow spiritually. What is, um, what is the role in cultivating the spiritual life in, in our loved ones that, that we see in this, this parable, in our, in our friends? Well, there's that image of scattering seed, that, 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 that child that you have that doesn't know the Lord, that brother or sister, that parent, that friend, that coworker. God gives you opportunities. God gives me opportunities to scatter seed, to have those conversations, to to say those little things, to be there with those loving acts that gives us even the access to say that those things, that's all part of scattering seed. If the farmer stays in the house and doesn't even scatter the seed, nothing's going to grow. If we don't recognize those opportunities and seize those opportunities, nothing is going to grow. Uh, We also have the opportunity watching for when the crop is ready. Maybe you've had the privilege. uh, I have. uh, I wish I'd had it more, but maybe you've had the privilege of being there when somebody who the seed has been scattered in their life many times, and it is now sprouting and beginning to grow. They're ready. They're ready to embrace Christ as Savior and Lord. That's, That's the harvest of that. And you're there, and you lead that person in prayer, and you lead that person to embrace new faith in Jesus Christ, you enable that person then to go on from there and to grow spiritually, seizing that opportunity. Well, now, having looked at the role of man or human responsibility, let's look at what I think this parable really emphasizes, and that is God's supernatural work, what we call divine sovereignty. What is it that God does in this parable? You'll see um, on the slide that's, that's coming up there a picture of seeds. Those are date palm seeds. And there was a kind of date palm that grew in Jesus' day uh, called Judean date palms, and they became extinct. Um, you know, the, the, hundred, the centuries following Jesus' time on the earth, they just, they just became extinct in Judea. And then in the 1960s, archaeologists who were excavating Masada, uh, they were excavating up on Masada. Uh, King Herod had a, a summer palace there. And in the excavation of King Herod's summer palace on Masada, they found stores of seeds, and they found some of these date palm seeds, Judean date palm seeds. That had, you know, again, the, the trees had become extinct. Well, they, they tested them with carbon dating and found that these seeds these shriveled up, dry, dead-looking seeds were 2,000 years old. They took a couple of these dead 2,000-year-old date palm seeds, and they took them down to southern Israel to a town called Keturah, and they planted them there. And some of them sprouted. And not only did they sprout and take root, they, they grew And within a couple of years, they had date palm trees, which had become extinct, which were now six feet high and beginning to produce date palms. 
Do you, do you get the image there that something to us that looks so dead, so dry, so old that it doesn't even seem like it can have any effect? God supernaturally can work through that, and that is the image here. Verse 27, God, it is God who brings about the sprouting and the growth of the seed. We don't do that. We don't do that in the natural world. We don't do that in the supernatural world when it comes to the sprouting of faith and the growth of faith. Verse 28, the soil produces a crop by itself. That, that, that Greek term for that, that Mark wrote it in, is automatote, which we got our word automatically from. In other words, apart from any human help, apart from any human help, the soil produces a crop. That's God's action there. So the picture is that the growth of fruit here, the growth of, of fruit-bearing plants, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a process that God brings about in stages. First, the blade or stalk is another translation of that word, and then the head on top of the stalk, and then the ripe grain coming out on the, on the head of that. And that same image in, in the botanical world is, is, is similar to what happens in the spiritual world, how God brings about spiritual growth uh, in, in people. First, first, there is the, the, the development of the stock. That is God's regenerative work as His Holy Spirit works in our hearts and regenerates our hearts so it can even embrace faith. And then there is the development of the head, and you could look at that as the maturing of that, as the beginning of, of the sanctification, of becoming more Christ-like through conversion. And then the result is that there should be the development of grain on the head. In other words, we become spiritually fruitful. We become able to reproduce our lives spiritually in the lives of others. God does all that, but that's a, a, a wonderful metaphor of what that should look like in our lives and the lives of others. In verse 29, it tells us, Jesus tells us the goal, the ultimate goal of God's supernatural work. What is it? It's to bring about the harvest. In other words, a farmer doesn't grow a crop just to sit on his porch and look and say, isn't that a beautiful looking crop of grain? The farmer grows the crop to harvest the grain. And there are two interpretations of what Jesus is getting at spiritually here, and I, actually I think both interpretations apply. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. The first interpretation is that God's harvest is the outcome of His supernatural work in, in my life, in your life, in, in a person's life. When, when He brings that person, when He brings you and me to genuine saving faith, Think of how that happened in your own life. If you are here this morning and you know Christ as, as Savior and Lord, think of how this process works. Somebody sowed seed in your life. Another, a better way to say that is God used people to sow the seed, to share the gospel with you, to speak God's truth to you. Maybe it was many people like it was in my case so the seed was sown. But even though the seed was sown, maybe you're, you're like me. I was slow. I didn't get it at first. You know, it, it just didn't, I didn't understand it. It took a while. And, and then the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to make that seed sprout. And suddenly there comes that time where what you've been hearing suddenly clicks and your heart is strangely warmed. 
as, as old theologians put it, and your mind is melded with your heart in an embrace of this faith, and that faith begins to grow. And then God matured that, or hopefully is maturing that faith in your life into genuine faith resulting in the harvest of your conversion, resulting in the harvest of you now being able to use your spiritual gifts and serve the Lord and spiritually reproduce yourself in others. Well, the second interpretation, and again, I think these both are true, is the harvest. It also speaks of the coming judgment, that God is is working, moving through the kingdom of God, extending the reign of Christ from person to person throughout the world, through every nation, moving towards that culmination of salvation history when Jesus Christ returns and the world is judged. And that's drawn because the images of the sickle and the harvest that Jesus uses here, those are Old Testament prophet prophecy images. There are many, many prophets who, who use the image of a sickle and a harvest to describe how God is moving human history towards that final consummation. And, and even, even New Testament books, Revelation 14, 15, speaks of this clearly as what is yet to come. John is given a vision of an angel crying out in a loud voice to the one who is seated on the cloud, use your sickle, there it is, and reap for the time to reap has come since the harvest of the earth is ripe. And when we think about the kingdom of God that Jesus preached as the rule of Christ in people's hearts that has been spreading throughout the earth over the last 2,000 years, we, we see what he means here. It's all leading towards that final harvest, towards that point in destiny when you will either enter heaven with him as those he has saved or go to hell as those who have rejected him. Well, time means I must move on to the third seed parable, the parable of the mustard seed, in verse, speak, or beginning in verse 30. And Jesus said, how can we illustrate the kingdom of God? How can we give a picture, in other words, a metaphor that helps us understand this, this expansion of the reign of Christ in human lives? What parable, what story can we use to describe it? Verse 31, it is like a mustard seed that when sown in the soil is smaller than all the seeds on the ground. Verse 32, and when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all of the vegetables and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. Again, let's look at the botanical, the natural world image in this parable first. This, this plant was a, uh, a plant called the black mustard plant that, that people in Jesus' day there in Palestine, they actually grew in their own personal gardens. And uh, it, it, they used its leaves as a vegetable. They took its seeds and, and they ground them as a spice or used them as a condiment. So for mustard, don't, don't think of that yellow container, you know, that you use with hot dogs. Think of the last time you went to the Chinese restaurant, you know, and you had your egg rolls there, and you thought, you saw these little packets of this pale yellow material, and you thought, oh, I'm going to try a little bit of that on my, my egg roll. And you open that packet, and you spread way too much on that, and then you took a bite of that, and all of a sudden, the top of your head began to burn off. That's the kind of mustard that we're talking about here. All right? Very, very potent mustard. What's the image here? 
Notice how small and insignificant the, the, the horticultural process, the growth process begins here. Verse 31, the seed is smaller than all of the seeds on the ground. Now, Jesus is not saying here that this is the absolute smallest seed you can find in the world. No, he's, he's saying out of the seeds that you would plant in your garden there in Palestine at that time, there was no smaller seed than the mustard seed. What's the point here? Well, the, the point that at least Jesus' original audience would have understand is this, is this is insignificant. The mustard seed is the most insignificant, inconsequential seed that you can think of. Looking at that tiny little humble seed, they, nobody in, in their right mind could humanly imagine that it could produce a plant of any size, uh, of, of any value. But that's what God does. In the horticultural world with that tiny seed, verse 32, God makes it grow taller than all of the other vegetables in the garden. And a full-grown black mustard plant would grow into a, a, a shrub, a, a bush that could, that could reach 12 feet high and sometimes even higher. That tiny little seed could produce that kind of plant, the tallest plant in the garden. What is the point spiritually of this parable? Spiritual growth. Spiritual growth in your life. Spiritual growth in the life of somebody that you love. Spiritual growth as we think about the gospel spreading through the nations. It usually starts so small, so insignificant, we we don't even pay it any attention. We, We don't even see it usually with our human eyes. But because it is the supernatural work of God, the results are surprisingly enormous. And that's true for how God works in your life if you surrender to Christ's lordship. It's true for how God can work in the life of that loved one that maybe you're thinking about who is struggling, who is far from the Lord this morning. And it's true for how the gospel spreads throughout the world. 1971, a man named Howard Schultz opened a coffee shop in Seattle, Washington, he called Starbucks. And um, some of you weren't even alive at that time, but I remember in the mid-70s when we got the first Starbucks in my hometown, Boulder, Colorado, and I thought, a coffee shop? They're just selling coffee and they're charging over $2 for a cup? This will never go. This will never last. Well, now wherever you go, there's a Starbucks like literally almost on every corner. Something that looks so small and so insignificant has become enormous. Or let me give you an even bigger one. In 1994, a man named Jeff Bezos started this little online company selling books called Amazon. Well, we all know where we bought most of our Christmas presents this year, don't we? That Amazon has spread to there's hundreds of warehouses all over the United States and and throughout the world. And they have gone from books to selling every conceivable thing, groceries, and they're breaking into pharmaceuticals. And and there's a lot I could say about Amazon. It wouldn't be real positive here. But you get the example. You get the idea. Again, it is that little, tiny, seemingly insignificant, insubstantial thing that, 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 that has become just surprisingly enormous. Spiritually, 
And in the 1970s, I don't remember the year, a man named Tom Sign wrote a book called The Mustard Seed Conspiracy based on this parable. And his premise was this, and it is still true today, that you and me as ordinary believers, regardless of any education or lack thereof, regardless of any credentials or lack thereof, you and I, by our little, tiny, faithful, daily acts of following Jesus Christ, we become part of a conspiracy in the best sense of that word. We become part of something that as the world looks at it, ah, that's nothing, that's insignificant, that, that, that won't amount to anything, that God uses mushrooms into something that spreads throughout the whole world. And we see that. We see that in the spread of Christianity from that small band of followers of Jesus Christ to within just 40 years, Christianity having spread to every major metropolitan center in the Roman world at that time and all many little villages and cities all around it. God's supernatural work seems so insignificant, so inconsequential to most people, to us even, because God so often works in ways that our human eyes are prone to overlook. If you're like me, we can become discouraged when our eyes, when we don't see visible evidence of God moving. We want to see big things. We want to see big campaigns. But this this parable teaches us that God works through the insignificant, the humble, the faithfully humble, the faithfully insignificant. God works through you. God works through me. God works through the daily choices that you and I make to follow Christ that seem at the time to be so inconsequential to us. And so this parable teaches us that we need to look at God's supernatural work the way Jesus sees it. In his sovereign timing, God brings about surprising growth from humble beginnings. So trusting in the kingdom of God is like trusting in that mustard seed. It took a lot of trust for somebody in Jesus' day in Palestine to throw that little tiny mustard seed into the garden expecting that they'd get this large mustard plant. That seemed humanly impossible. It takes a lot of trust for you and me to take those daily faithful actions, believing that God can use them to expand his kingdom, the reign of Christ throughout the the world. And by the way, the reference Jesus makes to the mustard plant growing large enough so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade, that shows that he is concerned about not just what happens with us spiritually and not just what happens with our loved ones, but about whether the gospel reaches the nations. Those images of the birds of the sky nesting in the shade, Jesus is picking up on the images of Old Testament prophets like Ezekiel in Ezekiel 31, where he saw, he was given a vision of the kingdom of God as a large tree in which all of the birds of the air nest in its boughs. And he saw as part of that picture, God him allowed, God him allowed, allowed him to see that that kingdom began to reach all the nations of the world. All the great nations lived in its shade. That's God's heart. He doesn't just want to save me and you. He doesn't just want to save those that we love. He desires his gospel to impact all of the nations. Well, as I close here, how how do these parables encourage us? 
Again, maybe you're at that place, even though it's the beginning of 2019, where you're, you're discouraged about where you are personally in your spiritual walk, or maybe you're discouraged and disheartened, maybe even despairing about where some of those that you really love are spiritually. Or maybe you, you read, like, like I've been reading, about what's happening in China and other places in the world where churches are, are being shut down. And from our human eyes, we can become so easily discouraged about the progress of the gospel. Let me just give you four things. They're real obvious, but they're drawn directly from this. The first one is this. Trust God. And I know that sounds obvious, but trust Him, especially when you cannot see visible signs of growth. That's what these parables give us a picture of. Trust that God is working in your life. Trust that God is working in the life of that loved one that you are so concerned about. Trust that God is working throughout the world even when you are unable to see any visible evidence of it. And when you're discouraged, as as we get discouraged often, Recall these pictures, these images of how the seed of the gospel, it works in secret. It works even when we can't see it working and how it grows from what seems so insignificant, that little tiny mustard seed, into something great because of the power of God. Secondly, keep on praying. My prayer mentor, Daniel Henderson, says often that prayerlessness, in other words, our failure to pray, is our declaration of independence from God. But the positive spin on that is prayer is our declaration of dependence upon God. And if I really believe that though I bear human responsibility, spiritual growth is ultimately about the supernatural work of God, that makes me dependent upon God. And when I think about my own spiritual growth, when I think about the spiritual growth of my loved ones, When I think about the progress of the gospel through the world, that puts me on my knees because I depend upon God to make that growth occur. Thirdly, be patient. Be patient. Allow the seed to do its work in God's sovereign timing. And honestly, you know, our culture conditions us to expect instantaneous results. We want to see that in our lives. We want to see that in our church. We want to see that if we're, we're funding missions. Oh, what do you have to tell us about how much was accomplished over the last six months? But God often works in His own sovereign timing. That, that grain, if you watched it grow, you would not see any visible progress if you went out there and watched it for 24 hours. It takes time. It is a process. It often moves imperceptibly slow by our human standards. Be patient. And finally, be faithful. And by that, I mean take advantage of every opportunity that you have to sow, to water, to reap, or to harvest. The salvation and spiritual growth of your loved one, of your friend, of your neighbor, of your coworker, of those people around the world who don't know Christ. It is not dependent upon you, but God uses you. God uses you to accomplish the spiritual growth that He wants to produce there. So we, we want to recognize those opportunities. We want to recognize when we're having that conversation with that friend or that loved one, there's an opportunity for me to, to explain something about the gospel right now and seize on that opportunity 
Or maybe we come along somebody who the gospel has been planted, and there's that opportunity to water it, to pick, on, pick up on something they've been reading or something someone else has told them, and, and to water that seed. And often, if we're, we're blessed, there's that opportunity to harvest, where, where because the seed has been planted and watered, the person we're talking to is ready to embrace Christ as Savior and Lord, and we need to seize that opportunity. All of this, Paul, the Apostle Paul, and I'll close with this, gives us this wonderful picture. I, I bet he was thinking of Jesus' parables of the seeds here when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted the seed. In his missionary work, he, he spread the gospel. He planted seed. And, but others came along. Apollos, a, a, another co-worker, watered it. He, he helped that seed grow. But here's the important part. But God made it grow. So neither he knew who plants nor he who waters is anything. And you and I, in our own spiritual lives and the lives, spiritual lives of those that we care about, and even as we reach out to be part of the Great Commission, ultimately it's not about us. It is not about us. We're not, it's not anything but only God who makes things grow. We serve an almighty God who produces supernaturally spiritual growth. We are dependent upon Him. We cooperate with Him. We allow the Spirit to use us to accomplish the work that He wants to accomplish in our lives and the lives of those we love and the lives of people throughout humanity. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus. Again, we are amazed by Your teaching. And You take these these simple little pictures here from the plant world and, and you, you, you cut right through to our hearts and where we're discouraged you give us encouragement and you give us perspective and that's what I pray that your Holy Spirit would do even today for any man or woman who comes here this morning somewhat discouraged about where they are personally in their own spiritual walk or where a loved one is or even in terms of is the gospel really impacting our, our community, our, our culture, our nation, our world? Lord, help us to see our human responsibility and to be those faithful farmers who don't just stay in the house, but we are there to plant, to scatter the seed. We are there to water. We are there when the crop is ready to harvest. But help us ultimately look to you and depend upon you and wait upon you for your supernatural work. We praise you and we worship you, O Lord God. Amen.